chronological look at the Gospels. We have gone through and looked at Jesus in the beginning, the birth of Jesus. Then we've taken two weeks to look at John the Baptist and the life that he had. And as soon as John the Baptist baptized Jesus, Jesus took a walk. And he walked out into the Judean countryside. And while in that Judean countryside, that is where he met Satan. And Satan took 40 days to tempt Jesus. And that is where we're at today. And what I would like to do is, uh, we're, there's actually three different Gospels that record the temptation of Jesus. But we're going to be focusing on, on primarily Matthew chapter 4 today. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you do me a favor and open up to Matthew chapter 4. While you are doing that, I would like to... Uh, uh, welcome any of our guests, any of our visitors that are with us today. And um, inside your bulletin, you'll also see if you don't have your Bible with you, we have Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 in there. Uh, and on the, also on the bulletin there on the right-hand side, there's a Connect card. I'd love to be able to follow up with you, so if you do me a favor and uh, tear one of those out and drop that in the offering box back there in the back before you leave today, that would be a huge blessing. So if you're there, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Follow along with me if you will. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, as also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. Let's pray. God, we pray that you speak to us today. As you speak through your word, use this as a time to lift yourself up. Show off the amazing strength of your son, and that he can be our example as we deal with daily temptations. We pray it all in your name. Amen. This scripture and the other two obviously look at Jesus being tempted, and that is really where we're going to go. From here, we are going to get into the, the temptation of Jesus. But I want to ask a question of you first. I want to ask this question of you. And as I ask this question of you, I want this to be kind of one of those questions that you don't answer out loud, okay? Um, because if I hear it all yelled out, that might just be a little awkward. This is the question. When was the last time that you were truly tempted? When was the last time that it was deeply a temptation in you to sin, to do something or to say something that you know that you shouldn't say or do? When was the last time that that happened in your life? Was it something new? Was it something that is a habit that you're trying to break, something that you do daily or weekly or monthly or yearly, however it might be? Is it something that you are working on? And my question is, is how did it go? When you were tempted that last time, how did that work out for you? Were you victorious? I love this picture. It's actually one of the top 100 pictures of all time in sports. Were you victorious? Could you stand over Sonny Liston and just flex your muscle and say, I, I won? Or were you more like Cat Williams or Sonny Liston in that picture, or Cat Williams here sprawled out completely on the floor in just a, a pile because you just got whooped? How was the last time that you had to deal with temptation, and how did you stand up to it? You see, temptation is a daily part of our lives. 
Every single one of us deal with it. And the best way for me to share with you is this. It's basically, it's a hook with bait on it. It is a hook with bait on it. Anybody in here fishermen? I was at Walmart yesterday, and um, they had the huge clearance section over by the, well, it's, literally it's by the fish tank, which is kind of funny, but they had fishing poles on clearance, and I'm holding one in my hand, and I'm like, oh, this would be great. And I'm like, wait, none of my, nobody in my family eats fish, so what would be the point? Um, you know, and Christy's like, oh, do you eat those after you catch them? And I said, yeah, I think. I mean, most normal people probably do, but, but um, yeah, so I was like, okay, well, that's not quite, quite it. But I was looking at it, and I was thinking, you know, when I was a little kid, we used to go fishing all the time, and, you know, you catch fish by putting bait on the end of the hook. And it's not that the, there's a hook there that they say, mm, that hook looks so good. It's the bait that's on that hook that hooks them and you are able to reel them in. Well, that's exactly what temptation does to us. Temptation is something that is on the end of that hook that is hiding that hook. And that Satan is using to reel you in, to pull you away from where God would have you to be. And that temptation can be anything. I mean, when we think temptation, we think big things, but it could be small stuff. I wrote a handful of things down. It could be food. Remember a couple weeks ago when I told you about candy corns and peanuts going together and how amazing those are? We've had a bowl of that sitting on our counter, and about daily that bowl is empty, and I'm not sure why that happens, because I refill it every night before I go to bed, and for some reason the next night it's empty again. I think it's because it tastes amazing, but it could be food. It could be fame. It could be sex. It could be money. It really could be just power and glory. And lifting ourselves up, like we talked about last week, it's not about us, but maybe that's the temptation is to make it about us. It could be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. Or, I mean, there's so many things. It could be a grade point average. That could be what you're chasing after. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. It could be just that high and whatever gives you that high. Because whatever it takes, he's going to bait the hook. Satan is going to bait the hook. And unfortunately, he doesn't fight fair. He doesn't fight fair. You see, if it was just a hook, I think a lot of us would say, oh, it's really not that big of a thing for me. If, he, if, if Satan came to you and said, you know what? I would like for you to get divorced. I would like for you to be a glutton. I would like for you to be obese. I would like for you to have issues in your marriage. I would like for you, you know, none of us are going to, you know what? That sounds good. I think I'll try that. Th- that's not going to happen. But he's going to bait the hook to pull you away. And that pulling away is going to lead to death. It's a fight that fight does not fight fair. He doesn't fight fair with us, and he didn't fight fair with Jesus. As a matter of fact, we'll see in, as we look in Matthew chapter 4 and, and Luke chapter 4, Satan comes, Satan comes to Jesus and baits the hook continually for 40 days. See, Matthew kind of says it, it, it makes it sound like it's at the end. But if you read Luke, it makes it sound like he was tempted throughout those 40 days of fasting and 40 days of, of being without and being alone and being hungry and being weak. It's, it seems like that's the time that Satan comes most, isn't it? That when we're hungry and we're weak and we're alone, that we want to grab hold of that bait and forget there's a hook that's there. And one of the things that we noticed and we're going to see today is that Jesus was tempted. And the reason why he was tempted in every way and attempted over those 40 days and, attempt, and tempted throughout his life was so he could identify with us. That was his purpose. He's been there, he's done that, and he can identify with us. We don't serve a God, we don't have a relationship with a God who is immune to who we are, that stands back and watches from a distance and just watches us be dumb. He is right in the middle 
And he put on flesh so he could live and experience all that we have so he could, he could understand. And I've heard people ask me before when we've talked about temptation, and they say, well, you know, isn't Jesus God? I said, yes, he is. I truly believe that Jesus is God. Not was God, is God. And he came down here and he did this, and they said, well, okay, well, what about James chapter 1 when it says that God cannot be tempted by evil? What about that? How can Jesus be God and Jesus still be tempted? How does that even work out? You know, people that try and trick you and try and play you into things. This is it. God humbled himself and became a man. And he put on flesh. And he broke that barrier between us and him. And he came and he walked among us. And as a matter of fact, he, he be, I mean, just, this is a little bit mind-blowing that creator, the creator became creation. I mean, that's, that's just almost unbelievable to me. But it says he did it so humbly. As a matter of fact, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 says, he walked here humbly and he put himself aside so that he could be here for us. God became man to connect men and women to God. And Jesus did it during his life on earth. And while he was here, he was fully God and he was fully man. And we need to understand that he is still fully God and fully man. He lives in a resurrected body. We, they saw him after resurrection. He is still fully God, fully man. And we have to understand that it wasn't that a man became God. It was that God became man. He lowered himself to that level. And, and the whole time he was here, he had that being God was fully him. He, he had his divinity in him. And how many times do we see that he does something with his God powers, but it's not for him? How many times does he heal somebody, but doesn't heal himself? How many times does he leave somebody's pain, but doesn't heal his own pain? How many times does he make food for other people, but doesn't do it for himself? He wanted to make sure that he could bless others through his miracles, but he didn't want to use his own divinity for himself because if he did that, it would draw a line between us and him because he wouldn't experience everything we had. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty with, uh, with Jim Carrey when he gets the power of God for a couple of days or a week or whatever it was and he tries to make um, Jennifer Aniston love him and that, that's kind of the whole purpose of it all, but he does everything for his own glory in it all. He does all the things that he has. You know, he gets himself an SL, uh, SL7, uh, the, the McLaren car, and he, he parts the soup. Oh, you know, remember that part of the movie? And he, he makes it all like that. He's doing it all for himself. And he comes to the, realize that the realization at the end that it's not about him. But Jesus knew it from the very beginning that it wasn't about him. Though he had every bit of power, it was not about him. And it was about us. See, Jesus came and he suffered like we suffer. Jesus came and he grew tired, just like we grow tired. Jesus came and he was hungry, just like we get hungry, and he felt pain, just like we feel pain. And as we see today, he had temptation, just like we have temptation. And the reason for it is this. Hebrews chapter 2 actually talks about it. It's kind of a commentary, actually, on why he did it. And it says this, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, we talked about the high priest thing last week, in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered which he was, uh, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are also being tempted. See, God became man, 
and he lived humbly. And he didn't cheat. He didn't cheat the system. He didn't say, well, because I'm God, I can do this. He lived as a man. And he experienced everything as a man. He wasn't immune. He wasn't removed from what we're doing. And he was tempted continually for 40 days. My guess is, is those 40 days that he was tempted, he was tempted with everything else that we're tempted with. All the different things we're tempted with, Satan was thrown at him. Isn't it amazing to know that there's a God who understands? He's that high priest. He's the one that goes between us. And he did all of that for us. That was the reason why he got baptized, to be baptized into that high priesthood. And then it moves forward to show that he lived and he was going to be the sacrifice for us because he did not sin. And as we investigate the temptations of Jesus, there's really three of them that stand out. There's really three of them that stand out. As a matter of fact, 1 John chapter 2 talks about these three. These are the three big ones, kind of the three all-encompassing temptations. Now there's little ones that go underneath it, but this is what it says. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which we will see here shortly, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Jesus is going to be tempted, just like we're tempted, for pleasure, for power, for fame, for glory, for comfort, for ease. He's going to have all those things thrown at him. Let's see how he responds. If you're back, uh, have your Bible still open at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to kind of break down each verse as we go through here. So it says here, first, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here Matthew says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Luke actually goes on to say that he was filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit led him to this place, a little bit more detailed, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as a side note here, and I'm going to jump on a couple of side notes as we go through this, but a side note here is this. That is where we want to be. That is where we want to be. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and we want to use that power for His glory and not ours, but to, to overcome. And there's, there's going to be times in our life where we are led to a place where we do not really want to be. And I can almost be willing to bet that Jesus, when it came time, after He was baptized, after He came up out of the water, the dove came down on His shoulder, a voice called out from heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. I don't think that Jesus said, All right, I can't wait to go out and fast for 40 days, stand in the desert and be tempted. I mean, I'll be honest with you. At the beginning of of this year, as we led up to Easter, we did uh, a thing called the Daniel Fast. And the whole time I was on that Daniel Fast, all I could think about was eating meat when we were finally done. It's all I could think about. And bread. Meat and bread, because that's what a man's supposed to live on, not on vegetables. Vegetables are what my food lives on. Okay, that is the way it works. And the thing is, is that's all I could think about. And I'm sure that Jesus wasn't going in. If he's fully human, he's got the same thoughts that I'm having. He's like, I really don't want to do this. That doesn't sound that great to me. But he knew he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is where God was leading him to go, even though it was going to be uneasy, even though it was going to be uncomfortable, even though it was going to be a place where mm, not quite the the preacher thing that, that we hear a lot of times now of prosperity was taking him. That is where he was supposed to go. And so he went. And that's what he's doing right here. Jesus was led to a place that maybe wasn't for his glory, but it definitely turns out it's for the glory of God and the good of others. Verse 2 says this. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, guess what? Those last three words, he was hungry, tells us very much so that he was human. How many of you guys in here have ever been on a fast? Ever taken time to fast? 
Were you hungry at the end of it? I went on a, uh, a bit of a fast, I guess you will. It wasn't chosen for me. Um, it, was, it was kind of forced upon me. Uh, back in April of, uh, of 2011, I started radiation treatments on my mouth. Many of you who were here, you watched me get to go through those things. And from April 18th until June 15th, I, on a daily basis, I went in and took radiation treatments on, cancer, on, a, on a mouth cancer that I had. And it made my face swell up. It made me lose 70 pounds. It made me have blisters all over the inside of my mouth. And because of all those things, uh, I, I didn't really feel like eating much. So my daily, my daily routine was a, a, a multivitamin pill and a protein shake. And that's what I ate for eight straight weeks. And I couldn't taste food. Nothing was good. Nothing was anything I wanted it to be. And during that time, I got weak. I slept a lot. I didn't want to do anything else. I didn't even want to be here. I mean, we had uh, people came in and and filled the pulpit for for those eight weeks, and I sat in a little chair back there in that back corner, and I just kind of watched, and I just, you know, people, hey, how you doing? I'd be like, "Mm, look, you know, that was was kind of the feeling that I had about it all. And and it, it, by the time it was done, I was so wanting to eat food, and I'll never forget that on June 15th was my last day of radiation. The first solid food that I ate was July 4th, and I ate a hot dog. And it was just a hot dog because I couldn't quite eat the bun. And I was so excited to eat a hot dog. And hot dogs are still amazing to me. But it was the most amazing hot dog ever. It was a Hebrew national. I remember it. had ketchup and mustard on it. And I was, oh, it was so good. But I'll tell you, up until even that point in time, just getting myself to build my strength back up. And it, it took months. So I picture Jesus here because what I figure is, is from April 18th to June 15th w- was a little bit more than probably 40 days. But I picture Jesus here He didn't eat for 40 days. And he went through this. Now, he was probably in a lot better physical shape starting out than I was. I mean, he was a carpenter. He was a man's man. He was out walking all the time. You know, things that I probably couldn't describe myself as in any any one of those things. so, So he was probably in a little bit better shape. But still, 40 days of not eating. He was weak. He was weak. And guess when Jesus met Satan with these three temptations at his weakest point, at his most vulnerable point. This is going to be the heavyweight battle of all time. Jesus versus Satan right here, and we're going to see it again someday soon, I hope. We see it take place, and Jesus is weakest, Satan's at his strongest, and he starts hammering him. He starts hammering him with things like this. The tempter came to him and said, verse 3, if you are the son of God, tell these stones become bread and Jesus answered it is written and it's very important to notice that he used the scripture right here Deuteronomy 8 3 as a matter of fact and Jesus knew the Old Testament and remember I told you that Jesus didn't cheat by using his divinity because honestly he wrote the Bible so he probably knew it pretty well the thing is is that we skipped over in the chronology the growing up of Jesus it's very short little mention little things talks about he spent time in the temple and spent time, and it says that he grew in wisdom, and he grew in stature, and he knew the word of God. He took time to get to know the scriptures. First thing we need to do as we're battling with temptation is we need to know the scriptures. So this is the scriptures, what he said right here. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So temptation number one right here, bread. Bread. I told you a couple weeks ago, bread is my weakness. I love bread bread. And if I had the power to change rocks into bread, 
I think I'd do it. Just going to be honest with you, because it's not cheap at the store, and rocks, they're everywhere out here. So, I mean, it'd be all right. Um, if we could do that, wouldn't that be great? Do you think Jesus could change stones into bread? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's not a doubt about it. As a matter of fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about him taking water and changing it into wine. Pretty impressive. So I think he could do the stones into bread thing as well. And Jesus is hungry. He's hungry. Satan tells him to make bread. He's hungry. Why not? Why not? Well, I think we can notice something here. There's a, there's a little word in here in this. Once again, a little side note. Satan throws out a question. And that question is, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you're really the son of God. Now, we just saw 40 days before, before he went on this walk in the wilderness, he came up out of the water, a dove came on his shoulder, a voice cried out from heaven, which would be pretty amazing, that said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So we know that that voice, this guy's, that voice's son. So I think we know that. He knows that. But Satan still likes to throw in that little dig. If, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, he's questioning Jesus' identity. Do you realize that our life comes from our identity? The, the way we view ourselves is the way that we live. If we view ourselves as a victim, we will live as a victim. If we view ourselves as overly religious, we're going to live a religious life. If we view ourselves as damaged goods, thinking we're too far gone and beyond repair than anything God could ever do, we will never experience the total redemption that God has for us. How we view ourselves is how we live, and that's why Satan wants to ask us, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure you're really forgiven? I mean, do you remember all the stuff you did in your past? Do you think God could really forgive you for all of that junk that you've done? Do you really think that Jesus would die for you? Tell me, are these questions that have ever popped in your mind? I would be willing to bet that they have because there's times in our life when we are at our very lowest and we think, man, this can't be right. This can't be what it's supposed to be. This can't be who God died for. I want you to know that when Christ died for you and you accepted him, you were adopted into a whole new family. You have a new father. You have a new family that is the church. You have a new everything, a new identity. And Satan is going to try and question that, and he's going to try and knock you out of that. He, he wants to ruin your story. He wants that from you. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 16, when those things come, we need to live up to what we've already attained. I mean, we don't have to try and earn that. This is all the things that God has given us. He's given us that new family. He's given us that adoption. He's given us this life. Don't go back and question it. We've got it. Let's live up to what we've already attained and say, because God loves us, let's return the favor. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because when we start fixing our eyes on all these other questions, on the things that, that Satan is trying to pull us away with about being inadequate, that's going to ruin us. Of course, that's just a side note once again, but back to the temptation of bread. If you're hungry, is it a sin to eat bread? If you're hungry, is it a sin to eat bread? No, it's not. Or I'm a big-time sinner. Okay? That's not what the temptation was here. The temptation is really twofold. The first one is this. Is he going to obey Satan? Is he going to obey Satan? 
Because he's the one that's commanding him to do this, not God. And second, Satan is calling him to meet a physical desire and a physical urge. Is that right? To meet those things. You need to know that many of our temptations are going to be just like this. They're going to be bodily appetites and pleasures that are not necessarily evil in themselves, but the temptation is, is to take them out what God has created them for and make them something that is bad, that is something we shouldn't give into. I mean, you think food, drink, rest. Even think physical intimacy. Those are all things that God has given us. But when they are abused, that is when the problem comes to mind. That's when it comes right here to the surface. And the whole thing is, is that Jesus teaches us right here that true life is not found in these temporary things. True life is found in the Word of God. Because we can have these temporary things that will fill a need for the time being, and we can abuse those temporary things that will go beyond filling that need. But it doesn't last. It doesn't last. And the lesson here is that when the lust of the flesh comes, we need to be feeding our spiritual needs with the word and not the temporary garbage that the world has to offer. Dealing with the lust of the flesh and satisfying self was really the first temptation. But even last week, we learned that it's not about us. So you kind of think in, in our mentality, well, as long as you overcome one temptation, you're good. You're all good. It's fine. You can move on not so much the case and jesus shows us that because the next verse tells us this then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest points of the temple if you are the son of god there's that question again he said throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone jesus answered him it is also written do not put your lord your god to the test i love movies you guys probably know that since we do an entire summer series every year on movies but one of my favorites is sherlock holmes the ones with robert downer jr i love those movies both of them have been, have been great but one of the things i love is the whole thought process of sherlock holmes um as he plays everything out ahead of time and then it all kind of plays out uh, maybe you remember the scene where he's boxing with the guy and uh he, he walks through everything he's going to do to the guy and then it plays out, and he does everything. I thought about doing it in here and showing it up here, and I found it. But um, the only problem with that was is it might have been a little, bit, a little bit intense for some of the younger ones, so I just left it past. But as he walks through it, he, he prepares himself for each step. And he says, okay, this guy's going to do this. I'm going to deflect, and I'm going to counterpunch with one of these to the jaw. And he walks through every little thing. Jesus deflected the first with Scripture. The counterpunch that Satan throws back in the second temptation was he used scripture to try and make the temptation happen. Now, he didn't use the scripture properly, but he did use scripture. How often in our lives, how often is there somebody in our life that will use scripture that will try and twist that scripture just enough to make it seem like it's okay? Because what really ended up happening here was Satan used a, a scripture that is meant to say, have trust in God, and he twisted it to say, why don't you test your trust in God? So the real question for this second one is, is do you really trust God? 
Do you really trust God? See, dem- uh, Jesus demonstrates the, the whole idea of trusting in God by not turning the, the stones into bread. Knowing that God was going to come, 40 days was up, he knew the angels were going to be coming to, to attend to him, and, and he knew those things were going to take place, and Satan's trying to make a shortcut. Seems to be kind of common in this. He tries to make a shortcut, and he says, here, just change this. And he says, no, I trust God, that God's going to take care of me, and I'm not going to take that shortcut. Now he says, well, hey, why don't you, why don't you jump off this temple and, and prove that you can trust God? Because when you do it and those angels catch, man, all the people that are in the temple are going to be like, whoa, did you see that guy just, what? He just jumped off the, oh, man. That would be pretty impressive. You've got to imagine. You're, you're walking to the temple and some guy stands up and you're like, oh, what's he going to do? And, of course, everybody stops because they want to see him jump. And, and they're like, all right, what's he going to do? And all of a sudden he jumps. He, his prop, he didn't know, nobody knew it was Jesus. Nobody knew he was the Son of God. His popularity hadn't started yet. Jumps off and all of a sudden he's floating in midair. Pretty awesome, you have to admit. And that's going to get some real attention. And that's going to get people to start following after him, right? I mean, when you do some amazing stuff, people are going to be like, that's amazing. I'm going to follow after that guy. He appealed to my physical wow. But that was not what Jesus came for. Jesus didn't come to make us go, wow. He came to appeal to our hearts, to change our dirty hearts and make them new. As a matter of fact, not even just make them new, to completely exchange them for new. How often in our lives does Satan come in and try and make what God's planned for us just a little bit fuzzy? Because really, wouldn't it have kind of done the same thing that Jesus was looking to, to teach people and he needed a following to be able to teach people? If he had jumped off and had this immediate following, he would have had people to teach, right? I mean, it was still kind of been in God's plan because that was kind of the way to get to God's plan. Or do you actually know the way that God wants you to go? way too often that God has a plan for us and we decide we're going to take a shortcut to get there. We decide that, hey, this is the way it's going to happen. As a matter of fact, we see it throughout the Bible. You go back to Abraham. Abraham had a promise from God that he would have a son with his wife who had been buried and they're going to have a son in older age and this son is going to change the world. And time keeps happening and time keeps happening. And guess what? Abraham says, you know what? This isn't quite happening fast enough, and she's getting older. I'm getting older. This just isn't going to happen. So he goes, and he gets one of his wife's maids. And lo and behold, she becomes pregnant, and Ishmael comes along. Now, many people believe that that Ishmael uh, is really where the, the Muslim religion came from. So what if he had just waited? What if he had just waited on what God's plan was, and not have that fuzzy little sidetrack to say, well, you know, God can take care of it, but I can take care of it myself, so I'm going to do it this way. What if he just waited? How would things be different? How often can we say that in our lives? Do you really trust God? Do you know his word? Because even when there's temptation and that scripture is attached to it, how do you know it's right or how do you know it's wrong? Satan appeals first to the lust of the flesh, that satisfying of self. Second, he went right to, to the whole pride of life. The second thing that John talked about are in, in 1 John chapter 2, the accomplishing of self. Do it this way. You can do it. And Jesus said, it's not about me. It's not about me. But did Satan go away? So that's that's two, two good punches and two good deflections and counter punches. 
Satan didn't go away. As a matter of fact, we pick it up in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And I will give this to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. See, here Satan is doing with Jesus what he still does today. He preaches about prosperity. If you bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. If you want stuff, worship that stuff. Go and get it. Go and do what you have to do because you are a child of God and he wants you to have everything. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be able to just go and name it and claim it and you claim it in the Spirit's power and it will be yours. That, that is what he wants for us to hear. And he, that's what he, he appeals to that ego that is inside of us because really what happens though is that Satan is actually called the prince of this world. He's actually called the ruler of this world. And if we're worshiping the stuff of this world, and I know we use that term worship, and people say, well, I'm not singing praises to it or anything like that. Technically, we do. We sing praises to the things of this world. And as we do that, if we're worshiping the things of this world, we're in turn, kind of by proxy, worshiping Satan. And I know that's a big step. that Some of you just went, you know, but think about it for just a second. If you're not worshiping God, who are you worshiping? There's only one real other option. You're either worshiping the world or you're worshiping God. And he says to Jesus, if you worship me, I'll give you all this stuff. You will be blessed. And you know what? Unfortunately, Satan has worked that message into many a church in America and many a Bible school, and many a television shows, and many a radio shows, all with the name Christian attached to it. I thought the Father loved you. I thought the Father was a king. I thought the Father owned cattle on a thousand hills. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to have everything. And I think that's something that we've dealt with more than we care to admit. And it gets us into issues with finances. It gets us into issues with all sorts of things. I mean, think about the financial problems, and I use that with quotes here, financial problems that we, we get ourselves in, because I think that if we really could change our mindset, we wouldn't have a financial problem. I don't even believe we have a financial problem. I believe we have a worship problem, and what we tend to worship, and what we tend to have to have and I, I see people on both sides of this, and I, I have friends on, on both sides of this, that the things you, you have to have, and the people that are just happy getting by with having something. But we, we get ourselves into the, well, I live paycheck to paycheck because I have to have a bigger house and a better car and, a, and whatever it might be. Because that's the thing that we worship, or we're worshiping self, which in turn means we're, we're not worshiping God. I mean, can you imagine... Jesus coming out of the barren wilderness without eating for 40 days. He's been living, what, on the ground? I'm sure he doesn't have a knapsack with him with a tent in it or anything. I mean, 40 days, 40 nights out in the middle of the wilderness, being tempted over and over and over again. And we say, no, see, God wants us to have this. Well, wouldn't he have given it to his son first before he ever gave anything to us? And some might say, well, is it bad to have a job and make money and to live and have a house a car, and a car? And I, abs I say, absolutely not. 
But when that becomes your God, that's when the problem is. And that's when it becomes that hook that starts pulling you away because that bait that is on that hook looks so good and looks so tasty and you bite onto that and you realize that, well, as long as I have more of stuff on top of that hook, I'll never feel the hook actually hook into me. That doesn't change the fact that you're hooked. I think when it comes right down to it, too often in our lives, that hook is pulling us towards death, and some of us are tasting it right now. That hook is pulling us away from emotional connection with somebody. It's, a, it's pulling us with an, a relational connection with God. It's pulling us away from, from everything that we have physically because that hook is killing your body. You know, what is it? What is that hook? What is it? You name it, people are hooked and being dragged away. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, Satan will not with us if we know his schemes. If you know his tactics, if you have a little bit of preparation and you're ready for that, that that's where we need to be. He appeals to our self-satisfaction and to our self-accomplishment. And the third thing was our self-glorification. Look how good I am. And he's trying to shortcut Jesus' future. Because guess what? Jesus is king. Is he not? Jesus is the king. And he's king now because he followed God's plan. But what if he followed Satan's plan? There's that shortcut again. You bow down and worship me, I'll give it all to you right now. You don't have to go on the cross, and you don't have to do any of those other things. You don't have to be beaten, you don't have to be spit on, you don't have to be arrested, you don't have to have any of that stuff. You can just shortcut it right now, and I'll give you it all, as long as you worship me. Man, that sounds tempting, doesn't it? But how does Jesus answer? Verse 10, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. See, when Jesus commanded, Satan left. Now, some people think that's the end, but Luke actually says he's going to come back at a more opportune time. Satan's life was full of temptation, just like ours was. And there's some things that I think we can learn from today, and here they are. Number one is this. We have the same adversary. We have the same adversary. Satan tempted Jesus, and he tempts us just the same. Second thing is this. We have similar temptations. We have self-satisfaction, thinking about the temporary instead of the eternal. We have self-accomplishment. Do we trust God's plan or do we trust my plan? We have self-glorification. Look what I've done and look how I've done it. So we have the same adversary. We have the same temptations. We also have the same tools to overcome it. Jesus appeals to the word of God. So can we. Jesus had faith in the plan of God. So can we. Jesus prayed to God. So can we. But most importantly, I think the thing we need to walk away from today is this. Material goods alone cannot truly satisfy, but the spiritual good that Jesus offers, that God offers, can satisfy us for eternity. And while we're to trust in the Lord, we shouldn't foolishly tempt him in in his ways to see if he really believes that. Because we can easily say, you know, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive 120 miles an hour down the road and see if God really is going to protect me. Well, he did protect you. Just because we choose to test him doesn't mean he's going to continue to do that. Scripture can easily be abused as well as used, so we need to make sure of that. And the greatest thing that we need to understand is that Jesus was tempted just like us. So he could experience all that we had to experience and he could live a life that we had to live. And so he could go as a high priest for us. Temptation to Jesus is a pretty big deal. He used Scripture. He had God with him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. That feeling comes when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to challenge you today 
to really consider that because you might be thinking, I can do this on my own. I'm just going to tell you you're wrong. I know that sounds bad to say it that bluntly, but you're wrong. You can't do it on your own. You're probably surrounded by people who have tried it and can say, yep, he's right. You can't do it on your own. We can only do it through the power of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to step back to the back here during these last couple songs. And maybe you're dealing with the temptation in your life right now. And you're like, I don't, I, I don't know how to battle it. I don't, do I talk to somebody? It, it seems like such a private thing. I, I don't want to talk to somebody about it because then they'll know that I'm struggling. Well, guess what? Everybody in here struggles with some sort of temptation. There is some sort of hook that is out there that is ready to grab you. For some, it might be physical things. For some, it might be food. For some, it might be whatever. It, but everybody struggles. We need the power of God to overcome it. So I'd like to pray with you. I'm going to step back to the back. As we, uh, right after I pray, I'm going to ask, uh, ask Jerome and the band to come up and wrap up for us today. And uh, I want to thank you again for being here. But let's pray. Father, we are so glad that you are here with us, that you are guiding us and that you are directing us. And I apologize for my own life where I tend to think about myself and that I can do it better. God, you are creator and I'm merely creation. You are the one that has the plan. You are the one that has the direction. God, help me to follow it. Help me not to be tempted to, to stray off and do my own thing. And I pray for everyone in here because I think it's a temptation we all have. God, give us the strength by giving us your Holy Spirit and living and filling us and empowering us with that Holy Spirit. I pray for those who are struggling today with whatever they might be struggling with, God, that you give them the strength to make it through. I pray it all in your name. Amen. Like I said, I'm going to step back to the back, and uh, if you want to pray with me, I'd love to do that.
Spirit strong in me. That's exactly what it boils down to with Tim. 